Welcome to your Wealth Plan Podcast, where we discuss sane wealth building strategies for an insane world. I'm your host, Sean Davis. Welcome to episode eight. We just got done celebrating what most people consider the greatest national holiday of all the holidays, other than, you know, religious holidays like Christmas, Thanksgiving, and Easter. But national holidays, some celebrate it, and it touches, seems to be, touch more people than even Memorial Day. And of course, we've all lost loved ones, and most of us, I'm sure, have had loved ones who served in the military that we honor, and we all, you know, think back and remember the ones that we've lost in times past on Memorial Day, decorate the flowers, and Decorate with flowers on the graves and, and flags and stuff. But 4th of July is especially celebrated. When I was a young man, most of the jobs I got let us off during the week of the 4th. Uh, part of that was because in our community, our fair time has always been around that time. And they had activities going on back in the day all day long and into the night. It's not so much nowadays. Most people tend to work straight through and save their vacation time for other times. But, you know, 15, 20 years ago, even, it wasn't that it wasn't that uh, uncalled for for the most of the factories in their area to shut down for the week of the 4th. They were shut down. They were paid vacation time. Sometimes if you didn't have vacation time, sometimes they laid you off during the week of the 4th. It was just a really good time. A good time to take a break in the middle of the year. A good time to rest, relax, recuperate, enjoy the beautiful weather. Just get out. You you, You just can't imagine how much your productivity goes up when you have time to just recharge, relax, reflect, and enjoy life a little bit. If you're working all the time and you don't have any time to enjoy the things you're working for, it's not much of a life. We're all here just for a very short time, which is so important to accomplish everything that you can while you can and move forward. But don't forget to Enjoy, stop and smell the roses. Enjoy life a little bit along the way. It's very easy for most of us to not take time to do that. Because we are so enamored in chasing our goals and, and chasing our dreams. This 4th of July, I want to ask you a question. You can interact with us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Your Wealth Plan Podcast on Facebook or Instagram. You can interact with us there. But I want to pose a question to you. Is the American dream still alive? For some of us, yeah, it is. And for others, is it? Is it alive and well for everyone? All of us seem to 
know the immigrant down the street that owns the motel, owns the gas stations, owns multiple stores and businesses in town. You're sitting there wondering, how can this guy who just come from India or China or uh, Vietnam or wherever he may have immigrated from, Mexico, wherever, how has this guy come to America and in half the time I have already created a substantial business, already living the American dream? How is it even possible? A lot of us may ask that question. But I guarantee you go in there at 6 o'clock in the morning. He's there working. You go in at 11 o'clock just before close. He's behind the counter. If not him, his wife, his children. Because they all have a vested interest in making that business successful. Making that business work. They've risked everything on that business. And when they risk everything on that business, they take care of it. Not only do they take care of it, but when it produces over and above what they need to live on and support themselves financially, they use that money to buy other businesses. Okay, this... If you've watched the Life Happens... YouTube channel. Here lately we've been delving a lot into how my great-grandparents built wealth. And immigrants are using pretty much the very same tactic. They start with one thing. They focus all their energy on it. They get it to producing an income. Then they take that income, all of it they can. They live below their means and they save all the money that they can and they take all that money and they pour it into something else. And they keep this one thing going and they start stacking incomes or multiple streams of income like Robert Allen teaches. That's how my great-grandparents done it. That's how my grandpa has done it. That's when my dad's done it. And it's what I'm attempting to do. I never look at myself as having arrived, but I'm always striving for it. I'm always working toward it. When I'm 100 years old, if I'm lucky enough to live that long, I'll still be looking back and saying, well, I'm striving for something because I will never arrive. But is that American dream still alive? It used to be, oh, wife, couple kids, house, car, maybe two cars, you know, nice vacation somewhere every year with the family. It used to be the American dream. Oh, being able to afford a washer and dryer used to be the American dream. Hey, we just got air conditioning. That used to be the American dream. What is the American dream now? What is the American dream today? Well, if you look around, it's living in the Lake Cumberland area. You look around, it's big boats. 
American Dream here's big jacked up $70,000 trucks $20,000-$30,000 razors $300,000-$400,000 boats $4 million boats house boats $80,000 bass boats $200,000 cigar boats cabin cruisers $70,000 campers sitting in your driveway so when you get off work on the weekends you can run down and set them up at the at the campground then we just walk over the hill jump on your boat and go that's the American dream today in my area What's the American dream for you? What's the American dream in your area? It's something to think about, isn't it? Are you able to achieve it today? What can you do differently in your life to reach those goals, to reach those things that you want? What is your American dream? Today on the podcast... We're going to discuss a man who's probably the epitome of the American dream for some of us. And that man is Warren Buffett. Recently finished the book Snowball by Alice Schroeder. And I know if you run in conspiracy circles, a lot of people do not like Warren Buffett. I understand that. There is a lot of things about Warren Buffett that I don't agree with, that I do not like. Uh, you know, the, being a Christian, I am pro-life. And people who are running in such close circles to Planned Parenthood and those who have brought in Plant Parenthood and have worked closely with that association you know Bill Gates Warren Buffett's best friend that's kind of how they connected was Planned Parenthood Bill Gates Sr. was you know, was like the head of, at one time was like the head of Planned Parenthood or whatever he was really big up in Planned Parenthood and Warren Buffett being one of the biggest donators and supporters of Planned Parenthood, you know, that's that's where those lives crossed. That's where those two lanes crossed. And while we may not be able to look at his personal beliefs and 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 really, you know. I just can't find anything about those certain things that are appealing to me. But there is a whole lot to learn from Warren Buffett and the success that he has achieved in life. At one time before I delved into his personal philosophies, I really I really admired Warren Buffett. I really did. I kind of built my holding company as close to being based on 
Berkshire as I can. I laughingly call it my little Berkshire. Uh, and it is very little, but that's beside the point. But in Snowball, we see a very good glimpse into Warren Buffett's life. And it's a great book. I encourage you to read it. Most of the time when someone talks about Warren Buffett and his life, they talk about, you know, rule one, never lose money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. And just, you know, silly quotes like that. But if you hang around the markets long enough, you're going to lose money. That's just the way it is. You're going to lose money somewhere. And, you know, there's a lot of things out there, you know, that people who've read this book, and you can see all kinds of, uh, you know, the top five things online, on YouTube and, and other things about Instagram and other places, you know, the people get from the book. And it's mainly the same accolades. And a couple of these that I'm going to go over today are the same. I'm going to try to give you a different perspective on them. You know, we can learn a lot from Warren's life. We can learn a lot from his business dealings. Because his business dealings seem to be on the up and up. He seems to be a very shrewd businessman. A very good businessman. And I think we can learn a lot from that. I think I can learn a lot from that. And I think if you're going to build wealth to any degree, and certainly I'll probably never build the kind of wealth that Warren Buffett has, but if I intend to build anything significant, or if you intend to build anything significant, we've got to learn from the ultra-wealthy. Now, the ultra-wealthy is never going to tell you exactly what they do, when they do it, or how they did it. The reason for that is, you got to figure it out yourself, number one. And number two, they really don't like the competition. Now, they may say they do. They may have some friendly gestures. Oh, I'm number one today. Oh, Bill's number one. Oh, Bezos is number one. Oh, Elon Musk is number one. Yeah, they may have some friendly competition like that and friendly jesting. And it may be okay between some of them. But for the most part, they really don't want you in their club. Because we are the 99% and they are the 1%. Old money never likes new money. I don't know why. I don't understand that, but it's true. Old money never likes new money. Nevertheless, I love new money. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure most of you do too. Let's look at a man who has, for the most part, lived the American dream. Owned a house, owned a business. Beautiful family. 
couple marriages. I really lived a really full life, an experienced life. And although the book goes into a lot of it, I encourage you to read it or listen to it on Audible. It is a great book. You will get a lot of stuff out of it. But I've picked out three things that I've learned from the book. I want to focus on them. Everyone looks at Buffett as a genius in the stock market. The stock market is just one aspect. And for the first thing I want to talk about that I got from the book was compounding. The importance of compounding. And the importance of not interrupting that compounding. But grow that compounding as much as you can and reinvest it. When Warren started out, he started out with jobs. And he'd take those, you know, paper routes or whatever. And he'd earn money, turning in bottle caps. You know, whatever he could to turn a, to turn a nickel. And then he took that money and he bought pinball machines. And then he expanded the pinball machine business. And, you know, he eventually sold it. He'd done this and he'd done that. But he was always using one opportunity that he had to build upon the next one. And he did the same thing with his business. When he bought Berkshire Hathaway, he used the money that came in for Berkshire Hathaway to buy other businesses. Now that's something that the retail investor will not be able to do other than through dividends or if it's a growth stock taking it and rolling it completely over never touching the base never never touching the principal never touching the profits just paying tax on it and rolling it straight into something else you can create your snowball and this is kind of what Warren did he rolled everything over into one and then when he got big enough he started rolling many snowballs in many different directions The first thing Warren did was, I don't know if you get the chicken first or the egg first. I don't, I don't know. According to the Bible, you get the chicken first. But apparently Warren got the money first through hard work. And what he did was he compounded one business with another. And then he viewed his stock investing as buying businesses, which I do too. I, I do look at when I buy, you know, when I bought Bayer. When I had Bayer, I looked at as me being an owner in Bayer. That's something that's very important. Looking at stocks as 
you're buying the whole business. And that's something that everyone, you'll hear everyone talk about. We want to talk about how he did it. And how you can do it. Now there's some things that you won't be able to do. You know, when Warren turned Berkshire Hathaway basically into a financial and insurance company, he got all that money coming in from the premiums. He had that float there. He could use that float to buy other businesses. Now, there's a lot of regulation in the insurance industry where you have to keep enough cash on hand to cover, you know, to cover any things that might happen, uh, you know, acts of God, acts of nature. You got to be able to cover that. But the excess in the float, he could reinvest. And basically what he did is he turned on huge multiple streams of income. But we're talking rivers of income, not just trickles. We're talking rivers of income. And he used that not only to buy stocks, but to buy businesses as a whole. And I think that's where the majority of his money come in. You know, he could invest so much and get back you know, what's he get? Several billion dollars or a billion dollars or whatever it is from from his Coca-Cola investment. Or I guess it's several hundred million dollars or, or whatever per year in dividends from, from his investment in Coke. But with the businesses, everything over operating cost and taxes, he got back to himself. And he was able to, when those funds would come into Berkshire Hathaway, he was able to deploy them to buy other businesses. And that goes back to what my great-grandparents did when they were building their wealth. You know, when income would come into the farm, they would take that money and they would roll it into other things. Um, you know, say they, you know, when they sold their corn, they'd take that or sold their tobacco either one they would take that and they would buy rental properties or they would buy cattle or they would buy things that would produce an income when they sold their corn they didn't run out and buy a new truck when they sold their cows they didn't go out and buy you know a big fancy truck to go to town in they didn't go out and buy a new watch you know when that money came in they redeployed that money to make more money and when it comes to your job, that's exactly the way you do. I know most of us have families we have to take care of. We have mortgages to pay. We have, you know, debts. Debts are a big destroyer of wealth. You got to get rid of that debt. You got to get rid of the bad debt. But when our employer pays us, when we work, we do that job. And we get that check. We need to take, make sure that our family's taken care of. Make sure we have an emergency fund. And then we either need to save that money. I know, Robert Kiyosaki. Why would you save a dollar when they're printing it? Well, I don't mean save it forever. I mean save it so that you can utilize it in a better way to get your business. Or to invest in stocks or cryptos. Whatever it is that you're into, 
using it to start a business. It'll say you want to start your lawn business, mow yards. This is just something simple to think about. So you just take that money from that check that you get, that you got left over after paying everything, and you just save that money till you get you a lawnmower. And you don't have to go out and buy a brand new zero turn. Buy you a used mower. Hey, buy you a $50 push mower. A cheap used one at a yard sale or 100 bucks or whatever. I think the last push mower I bought was like $450 for just a little push mower. Me and my nephew, who had my nephew who's eight years old, has a mowing business. He mows yards. My dad takes him from one place to another, lets him mow his yards. He's been doing this, he's eight years old. He's been doing this since he was seven. He went and looked at an $11,000 lawnmower the other day. I don't think he's going to buy it. He can't, he probably can't afford it. I don't know what he's got. But the kid has rabbits he's selling. He's got sheep he's selling. He's out mowing yards. He's eight years old. Eight years old. And this kid is making more money than a lot of adults I know. It's all about having the right training, the right mindset, the right attitude. Take the money that you're making from your job, roll that into another way of making money. That's how you start building the American dream. That's how it compounds. That's how Buffett did it. He compounded his money. He compounded his businesses. And yeah, he used insurance float, but he didn't use that insurance float for a long time after the fact. But the first and probably the most important thing I learned from Warren Buffett's life by reading Snowball is compound that money and don't interrupt the compounding. There's one part where Susie Buffett has lost a check. She's accidentally threw away some of Warren's dividend checks and she thought, you know, these for a couple of dollars or, you know, or whatever because they were still living hand to mouth. They didn't have hardly anything. And she threw it down the trash compact that was in an apartment building somewhere. And she runs downstairs frantic trying to find those checks because she knows Warren's going to go ballistic because she threw away these checks. Well, they get down there and they're going through the trash and they find a trash bag and they find the dividend checks that she's accidentally threw away. And she's expecting, you know, a few dollars, maybe a couple hundred dollars. These checks are for like 20 grand <laughs> and she loses her mind. She did not realize how wealthy Warren was. And that is something a lot of us can real can can learn to, can learn a lesson from. Don't worry your wealth. You don't have to show off to anybody. You don't have to prove nothing to anybody. But you do need to leave a legacy for your kids, for your grandkids, especially with the communist takeover of the world that's going on right now, these crazy times we're living in. Yeah, you gotta enjoy life a little bit. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying don't spend it all and not leave nothing for future generations. 
The second thing I want to talk about that we learned from this book is margin of safety. And I know we've heard this in a lot. This is a huge one that we hear about. You know, I want to buy a dollar for 50 cents. And that's true. That's true. You do want to look for bargains. An IPO strategy that I use every once in a while. And this is gold here, guys. A lot of times when a stock comes out, it spikes up and then it crashes. Sometimes it don't even spike up. Sometimes it just goes straight down. And then about six months to a year, you can buy that stock and it'll go up after it's bottomed out. That's why usually IPOs are not a good investment. And that's why you see a lot of insiders who've got the money or who have the stock options selling them off when a company goes public because they know that they can buy, or most of the time, they can buy those shares back at a later date for less, probably even half of what they're selling for at the IPO date. That's not always true with every stock. It's not. Facebook spiked up and fell. Um, bought Snapchat around 20-something and sold it at 24. Let it fall way back down. Bought it somewhere in the teens or, or lower. Uh somewhere in the teens I'm pretty sure I'm just going off my memory and then sold it back again later on after I made like 100% on it or something I should have held it I messed up there I should have held it Etsy uh, I come up went straight down I bought it around 8 bucks sold it unfortunately around 70 that stock went to over 200 bucks. I really, really hoodooed myself there. So, buying a company at a margin of safety. And to do that, you really need to know what a company's really worth. I did not understand when I sold Facebook at around 50 bucks a share that it was really worth three or 400 a share, probably someday in the future. I don't know what it is now. Two hundred. I don't know. I don't know what the price of Facebook is right now. Um, I don't know. I don't look at it because I want to punch myself in the face when I see it. Etsy went over two hundred dollars a share. Stuff like that happens. <laughs> CSX. Oh my gosh! I bought CSX for like six bucks a share. Look what it has went to in the past. I sold it out like in the teens. I think I made 150% on CSX. I did not understand what the company was worth. And that is crucial. In order to have a margin of safety, you've got to understand a business's worth. And at that time in my life, I did not understand. So if you're using an IPO strategy, just 
just be patient and wait for it to go down. They usually spike up a few dollars and then come back down. Also a new, another thing of looking at is some advice that old business partner of my dad's got gave him. Uh, his name was Don McLean. And he told my dad this when my dad was very young. It's always stuck with me. If a business is good, it will pay for itself and pay you to own it. If a business is good, it will pay for itself and pay you to own it. Now, what does he mean by that? It'll pay for itself. It means that you can borrow money against that business. And it'll not only pay itself off to the bank, but it will pay you a profit as well. That is the idea of good business. When you're looking for a business, now how does that relate to the stock world? That's basically, I don't try to buy anything on margin. Right now we have one of the biggest you know, mar- margin deficits in, in the history, I reckon. I mean, it's just like unbelievable. That tells you 100% that they're going to crash that market or something's going to happen. Unless it goes like the Caracas and we go, choo, through the moon. But when it comes to buying businesses, this goes back into what Robert Kiyosaki says. He says, why would you save money when they're printing it every day? He says, I'm rich because I have debt. I use debt to buy businesses. And that is the life lesson right there, folks. Warren may not have used a lot of debt. I don't know if he had any debt or not. The book says he steered clear of debt, paid cash for a lot of things. And we all know Dave Ramsey pays cash for everything. And he's mad because you don't pay cash. And... All that nonsense. Dave Ramsey doesn't have to have a credit score. Well, good for Dave Ramsey. I went through the same Prime Erica, Art Williams-based education as that, as he has. But I'm here to tell you, you got to have... If you don't have enough equity or cash or whatever to buy a home... You're going to have to eventually get a mortgage. You may, even though I don't recommend it, I would much rather go buy, go loan, get a loan for a lawnmower or a tractor, something to make money with, than I would to buy a car or a boat or a four-wheeler. Unless you have a logging company or a ranch and you need that four-wheeler to chase cows or whatever, that's different. I'm saying for recreational purposes, you're far better, you're far more money ahead to borrow money on a lawnmower and start a business than you are to borrow money on a car or a boat that's not going to provide an income. Yeah, we all have to have an income. We all have to have a vehicle. Um, that don't mean you have to go in debt to get a car. Always. 
I don't know where you're starting at. But we've discussed this on the Life Happens YouTube channel. Where my kids, they had a $2,000 budget. They both worked jobs in the fast food industry. They both done very well. They saved up two grand. That was their limit. Buy a car. Buy a truck. Buy an SUV. Whatever you want. But you have a $2,000 limit. And they both stuck to that. And they both ended up with these vehicles for two grand. You say, why did you do that to your kids? Why didn't you go out and just buy them a vehicle? Well, number one, if they have to work and pay for it themselves, they'll think a lot more of it. And number two, kids today need to know the value of the dollar and they need to know how to work for something that they want. It is a tremendous amount of feeling or euphoria or whatever. It's a tremendously good feeling, self-pride or whatever, self-accomplishment. When you go out here and you work your butt off and you're able to buy something for yourself such as a car or transportation, especially at a young age as a kid. It is a huge, huge step in the right direction. We have too many people out here looking for something for nothing. They're not willing to give anything, but they want to get. That's why communism is taking over worldwide. That's why socialism and all these isms are taking over worldwide. Because people want something for nothing. You get what you give. Focusing on this margin of safety, how do you know what to get? How do you know? You've got to know how to value that business. Say you're, let's think of the lawnmower business, okay? Think, okay, I'm going to borrow $11,000 on this lawnmower. How many yards am I going to have to mow to pay this thing off? How many yards am I going to have to mow to get gas to run this thing? How many yards am I going to have to mow to be able to afford the upkeep on this mower and pay the, and pay the payment? How many yards am I going to have to mow this summer and fall so that I can make the payments through the winter on this lawnmower? As the Bible says, no one goes out and builds a barn or a house or whatever without counting the cost first. You've got to count the cost. You've got to count them. Part of that counting is where you come up with your margin of safety. When it comes to stocks, if you look at at my book and you look at the dividend the dividend way, you know, the my dividend philosophy, so to speak, that I talk about in the book, Your Wealth Plan Fueled by Dividend Stocks. A lot of that is, I have screeners set. You know, I'm looking for my dividend stocks. I have screeners set that tell me what I'm looking for. Say I'm looking for a certain 
high yield percentage of a dividend payout. You know, I want to look at the earnings. I want to look at everything. And a lot of times what I do is I screen every day looking for stocks to buy. When I find one that meets the criteria that I want, then I know to start buying it. And part of that, of my margin of safety is built into the screeners. If you use Ameritrade or E-Trade or some of these, you can build those screeners. I'm not going to say anything about Robinhood because I don't like it. I don't know about it. I can't use it anyway because I'm an institutional investor, not a retail investor. I used to be a retail investor and I could probably still be a retail investor in some ways. But... That, that ship has sailed for now. But you can build into your screeners things that will give you your margin of safety if you know what to look for. If you know how to set it up properly. Know your brokerage account. Know how to use the tools they make available to you. It's priceless. I have the things I'm looking for built into my screeners. And then I go back and I, once I find a company, I do the research and check it all out. And do I just use research from my brokerage? No, I do not. I get everything I can get my hands on. I use several different ones. I use Yahoo Finance. I use uh, uh, different brokerages. I just do Google searches. I do Seeking Alpha. I read articles on it. I do all the research that I can before I make my purchase. That is another way information compounds that helps you keep your margin of safety. Also, you build a margin of safety through compounding. As dividends flow in, those dividends are reinvested. You build a margin of safety. You see how it's that? Well, through the drip system, which I recommend and which I use, you're buying back these stocks with the dividends. And that builds over time. Over time, if you've bought correctly, you've not bought a stock that's continually plummeting. But over time, that will give you back your return. I have positions right now that are up 70% just because of using drip. Well, they fluctuate, you know, 68 to 70 something percent because, you know, the stock market fluctuates every day. But because of the drip, I've increased up to like 70%. I've had a 70% return on some of these stocks over the last two years because of using the drip method. You can't interrupt the compounding. Gotta let it do the work. And by doing that, you will build margin of safety if you've bought correctly. And, you know, there's exceptions to everything 
you could have bought the best company out there and it turned out to be Enron. You could do all your homework just like I've done on some companies and turn around and get hit with a uh, the stock go to zero and then get hit because I'm a shareholder with a reorganization fee of 40 bucks because he hit all their shareholders with 40 bucks and or they're about 37 to 38 dollars whatever it was the stocks were zero it's already been delisted it's already been removed from the account and because you're a shareholder in that company they hit your account for 40 bucks well 38 whatever 37 52 38 whatever 40 bucks might as well cut just round it up 40 bucks gone because you was a shareholder sometimes you can do all the right things and still lose not only did you lose 40 bucks lost all the money you put into position and now you have nothing to show for it except a little debit for 40 bucks where all your shares used to be you don't even have shares anymore stuff like that happens it happens it happens to all of us so that's why I laugh at the rule number one never lose money Never rule number two never forget rule number one because at some point you're going to lose money it's just it's just the way it is the third biggest thing we learned from the book snowball is invest where there is a troll a toll bridge sorry invest where there is a toll bridge Now, what's that mean? Invest where there is a toll bridge. And they actually owned part of a toll bridge at one time, I reckon. But what they mean is once the cost is paid, once you know the investment is paid back building the toll bridge, once that's paid back, the tolls can be increased over time, which will bring in cash flows. So as long as that bridge is there, it's going to pay you something. And you have a monopoly on it. Unless somebody comes right next to you and builds a bridge. And offers it for free. But examples of this is, you know, of course, toll bridges, toll roads, utility companies, pipelines, railroads. The pipeline industry is very, very funny right now. Especially with this crazy crap going on in the world. Uh, I am no longer, as full disclosure, I'm no uh, longer invested in the Gazprom uh, oil line, oil pipeline, you know, the big Russian pipeline. I did have shares in it. I bought around four or five bucks, a little over. It's close to five. I think my average is close to five because I bought some below five and I bought some above five because I don't just... Sometimes I'll go out and throw a huge chunk at it and sometimes I add to the position over time, you know, to kind of average in. But 
you know, when Trump started batting heads, butting heads with the with the Russians over this pipeline, uh, it went to, you know, it, it went down significantly. And it's all right there around at the same time as COVID too. And, you know, it, it kind of went down some. And then when Biden took office, because, you know, Biden's against the Russians and Trump was all for him, you know, the, the price shot back up. And once I made a profit, I sold it. I, I probably sold it way too soon, but they had cut their dividend. And I don't know if that's something they'll come back in the future or not. But because they didn't pay a dividend, I didn't want them in the portfolio. Um, yeah, I could have kept it as a growth stock probably. Um, but I just, I didn't want the exposure to that. And I could put the money somewhere else that was going to produce an income. And that's what I opted to do as quickly as I could. But for the most part, if we can get some people in there that's not insane or not a part of an agenda, which is what we're seeing a lot, and that's what, one of the things we have to contend with when building wealth in this insane world. It's all these regulations and everything else that they're coming in with us because you want to choke guys like you and me out. They have their buddies. Read the, read the book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and you will see how this stuff works. I highly recommend reading that book because there's certain people they want to make money and the rest of us they want to keep broke oh yeah we so we have got to work together so that's why it's so important for us to build a community together in order to raise the 99% up But for the most part, toll roads, bridges, utilities, pipelines, railroads, there are a lot of stocks that you can get in this. But there's also a lot of partnerships out there that you can invest in through angel investing or whatever that can get you into some of these things. And what, what this means is these are sure cash flows. If you own the electric co-op or whatever in your area you know every month people's got to pay their electric bill so every month that money's coming in if you own the toll bridge every day someone crosses that toll bridge they got to pay money on the way there and on the way back if you own a toll road people have to drive that road to get back and forth to work get a doctor, whatever, they've got to come through there. they got to pay something. That toll ridge, that toll road is making you money every day. Same thing with pipelines. The oil flows through there. They get a percentage. Railroads, they're shipping passengers, shipping supplies, commodities, oil, you know, whatever. Goods and shipping goods consumables whatever they're shipping 
there's a flat rate there that they're paying, that the customer is paying them to ship and transport those goods. That money's going to come in. Every trip, that money's going to come in. Every month, with utilities. Every trip, with the roads, the bridges, the trains, the pipelines. That money's coming in. What that troll bridge comment is, what that toll bridge comment is, is guaranteed income. It's a monopoly, so to speak. So if you own the water company in a given area, you have a monopoly on the water. And that's really what, what they're looking for. They want they want to try to own a monopoly. That gives them the competitive advantage over everyone else. Um, you know, let's try to look for examples in the market. Uh, you can't really say Apple, but does Apple have a competitive advantage? It does. Is it a monopoly? No. So you don't have this, the, you don't have the true example there. And it's hard to find one exactly. I mean, you can't even say Coke. You know, a lot of people say Coke's a monopoly. Well, no, it's not exactly a monopoly because you have Pepsi and they don't have the entire market. But they have a big portion of the market. With a toll road, you own the market. Or with the toll bridge analogy, you, you own that market. It may be a big market. It may be a small market. I don't know. But that's what he says. That's the kind of businesses you need to buy. Where you own the market. Monsanto. Good, bad, or indifferent, it was kind of uh, it was kind of an example of a, a toll bridge. You have four main food companies out there in the world right now. Four main, you know, you have like um, Nestle. Uh, there's just a couple of them. Uh, Kraft Heinz. Conagra is one. Uh, your meat, your big meat producer. There's four big meat producers. One of them's Tyson. You know, these are examples of not necessarily monopolies, but they are potential monopolies. In conclusion kind of do a recap here we want to be like Warren Buffett we need to compound our money compound our cash flows compound our investments compound our businesses and we never need to interrupt that compounding we need to keep it going kind of example of that is Coke Industries their market-based management system. That teaches growth for growth's sake. You want to take your money and grow it. You want to take your investments and grow them. You want to take your businesses and grow them. And you want to stack multiple streams of income, multiple businesses producing income. 
grow as big as you can, as fast as you can. I want to thank you all for listening today. Please like and share this episode with your friends. We are listener supported. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Your Wealth Plan Podcast. Contact us there if you're interested in being on the show, on the podcast. Interact with us. Ask questions. Give show ideas. uh, Ask us questions there. We'll be glad and happy to interact with you. And once again, this is a disclaimer. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended for financial advice. We recommend consulting a certified financial advisor when building your own wealth plan. Once again, thank you all today. I really appreciate you all listening. It means a lot to me. Let's build this community. Let's share with others. I want to thank you for that. You can connect with us on Life Happens YouTube channel. We post daily there. Daily videos. You can reach out to us once again on Facebook and Instagram. Just want to thank you all for listening. Y'all have a great week. God bless.